Most people underestimate the power of process. They stick it in the back seat and forget about it until it's too late, but they shouldn't. Processes run the world, literally all of it. Stocked supermarkets, on-time trains, and safely landing planes are all made possible by systems of intricate interlinked processes. They are the secret sauce of every great company, and HR teams are responsible for some of the most important processes of all. Onboarding employees, building teams, crafting culture, these vital systems are the lifeblood of every organization. That's why this episode is brought to you by Process Street, the process platform of choice for HR teams around the world. Process Street is a no-code platform that lets you transform your most important HR processes into powerful workflows. Design beautiful employee onboarding experiences with extreme engagement that increase inclusion and reduce turnover. Sync tasks into Slack or Microsoft Teams, automate emails, handoffs, and so much more. Thousands of teams, large and small, trust Process Street to manage their most important people processes. Like Salesforce that used Process Street to onboard all the 3,000 Slack employees after the $27 billion acquisition. You can learn more and sign up for a free account at www.process.st. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. The podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business and quite literally reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you are listening to or watching this podcast. And if you have a friend maybe that is interested in what we do and what we talk about here, please feel free to share the podcast with that friend. Um, This week, I am going to be specifically talking about some of the um, legislative changes or, um, you know, information that's could be really impactful to your experience, your company, um, your employees. And so, I just kind of want to set the stage. So first of all, a lot of my episodes recently have been guest episodes. And so we haven't really talked about um, some like impending legislation or changes that um, U.S.-based employers will be confronted with. Um, So definitely want to cover that. And secondly, um, there is an episode coming up. It is the episode at the end of October, and it is going to cover HR horror stories because Halloween is at the end of October. And when I had asked uh, folks on who follow me on my Instagram what they thought would be a kind of like a fun way to celebrate the 100th episode, someone suggested that I collect HR nightmare stories, HR horror stories, and share them on a podcast episode. So that is what I'm doing. So October 25th, I think, is that last Tuesday of October. That episode will be all about HR nightmare stories. Now, what I want to say is that if you want to submit your HR horror story or nightmare story, scary story, whatever you want to call it, there's a link in the show notes where you can submit your story. And I've already received a ton, but I think that the more I receive, the crazier and scarier they will be because there are some stories already that I'm like very concerned about. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, I will share them on that episode and you know, we'll, we'll learn, we'll laugh, we'll grow. 
um, we will be concerned, all of the above, right? But it'll be a great way for us to kind of uh, maybe commiserate a little bit, but share some perspective and hopefully for me to be able to kind of um, respond to some of the stories too and, you know, maybe make sense of the craziness. So with that, let's jump right into this week's episode. So the two things that I really want to talk about are the I-9 flexibility extension coming to an end at the end of October and pay transparency. So the I-9 piece is something coming almost like dating back to April or May of 2021. And basically the Department of Homeland Security said, okay, we're going to grant an extension on this, you know, temporary exemption for people who are onboarding in a remote environment when it comes to their I-9 documentation. So companies that are not typically remote um, needed to figure out a way to be flexible with I-9 requirements. And just so you know, I-9 is a requirement in the United States or for U.S. employers to verify employment eligibility. And basically, um, employees, new hires need to provide uh, documentation that shows and proves that they are eligible to work in the United States. And this must be completed between the employee and the employer within the first three days of a new hire's start date. So if someone starts on October 1st, then they have the first, the second, and the third to complete their I-9 uh, verification. And because of COVID, companies had to kind of flex and do these processes remotely. And so the Department of Homeland Security said, okay, we're going to allow this to be remote um, if someone is, you know, in a, a time and place where they're not meeting in person on a regular basis and need flexibility to prove their employment eligibility. And basically that exemption also applied to the employers because employers were afforded this flexibility to uh, basically do the I-9 verification steps remotely, which in, you know, by law are technically not allowed. Now there are some um, nuances here and I do want to read um, what is important to keep in mind for when this flexibility ends. So the flexibility again will end on October 31st on Halloween. And basically that means that once the October 31st comes around, November 1st going forward, the uh, interim exemptions and flexibilities are no longer granted and employers have to do the physical check of the I-9 um, verification process. So once the once November 1st comes along, the uh, government then will now expect employers to verify identity and employment authorization documents in person for employees onboarded remotely during the pandemic, which means that companies will need to go back to anyone that was hired, let's say between 2021 or even 2020 and 2022, depending on how uh, many and when the hiring was happening. If anyone hired remotely, um, this is really what is applicable here. If a company hired someone remotely during the pandemic, they will need to physically check and re-verify the I-9 documentation, which is a lot of work. And actually, there is no need to wait. So if you have not been doing this within your organization, you can start as soon as you want. You do not have to wait for November 1st to re-verify.
And actually, the expectation is that the re-verification is happening after the employee begins working on a regular and consistent basis in person or three days after um, a COVID national emergency ends. So for whatever reason, if a state still is in a national emergency with COVID, then once that policy were to end or that that um, status ends, then it's required. But in most cases, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that companies have probably not been re-verifying. So this is your reminder and your uh, note to go ahead and re-verify anyone that was hired during COVID. So something that is really important to consider here is that when a company goes ahead and starts to re-verify the documents in person, it should not be based on specific groups like non-citizens versus um, uh, naturalized citizens or you know anything like that. It really should be based on when someone is working or the state in which they're like if you went state by state for example um like starting with california and then moving to new york like the groups have to be non-discriminatory when approaching the re-verification because it could come off discriminatory if you if a company first goes and says okay i'm going to re-verify all non-citizens or i'm going to re-verify all naturalized citizens um, you have to be really careful in the process and the procedure that you follow when you go ahead and complete the re-verification. One of the nuances here is really related to like fully remote companies um, or companies that are like fully distributed and maybe there isn't um, like an, a, a business entity or a representative of the business in a location where the employee is working. So in some cases, um, employees can go to a notary and have their documents verified in order to then be able to confirm that the documents are legitimate and meeting the requirements of the I-9. Um, also, in many instances, there are different agents that a company can hire to kind of stand it or act as representatives of the company. PEOs have this with E-Verify. Um, there are third-party companies that do this where they will kind of take on this role and responsibility for verifying the I-9 documentation. Um, and so there are ways to make this process less burdensome, but most companies, at least in my experience, are kind of taking on this burden themselves. And going back and having to re-verify I-9 documentation is a lot of work. If it were me and I needed to go back and, and re-verify, I would probably outsource that and ask, you know, anyone that was hired during um, the pandemic and is now expected to work in person, I would probably have them all go to notaries or I would break it down by state. And knowing that the um, temporary extension has been uh, is ending on October 31st. I probably would have started that already. But since there are there is a possibility that many of you listening have not necessarily known this, I would say what you would want to do is like a few states each day or a few states each week, depending on how many employees you have. Again, if you have a ton of employees, I would say probably over 100 or over 200 that have been hired since needing to have this, um, needing to take advantage of this flexible um, extension and exemption that you might want to consider a third party um, supporting this process or hiring someone temporarily 
to support with this, uh, like an HR admin or, you know, an intern or someone who has some experience because I-9 is a federal requirement and you have to be really, really clear on what the expectations are because it is very serious and there are fines associated if these are this process is not done correctly or appropriately or accurately. So just keep that in mind. You should certainly take a partner in your legal counsel. I'm sure that there are some attorneys out there who will say, let's not even use a PEO. Let's not even use E-Verify. Let's just have everyone go to a notary. Like there are some attorneys that are going to be much more um, strict. It really depends. Um, but the law is pretty clear that the requirement needs to be physically, um, the documents have to be physically reviewed um, unless there's a third party agent kind of verifying these things. So um, again, if you are not a US-based employer, this might not feel super pertinent. However, if you are um, living outside of the United States and potentially looking to work in the United States, it is important to know that there is this process because if you are a foreign employee or um, candidate, there has to be some sort of work authorization in order to work for a U.S. employer. And this is the case in most countries anyway. Um, but I-9 is, uh, at least from my perspective, one of the more strict um, requirements that I've seen as far as you know, proof of eligibility to work. So with that... If you have any questions about the I-9 process, you can always reach out to me, um, but I did include documents and links to other you know, sources of information so that you can do your own research. Um, and if there's anything that I've said on this episode in this recording that doesn't age well because something changes, please know that this is just a moment in time. And so you should always and continuously do your own research to make sure that you are up to date on the most recent and accurate information because we know that legislation changes all the time. And this isn't even legislation. This is really like just federal requirements. So um, make sure that depending on when you're listening to this episode, even if you're listening on October 31st, there could have been something that changed. And, you know, this episode might not remain as fresh as it is today. Um, so that is my, my reminder to all of you. The second important legislative change uh, is really kind of like something that has been prevalent for a long time, which is pay transparency. We've, I think I talked about this back in 2021 because there have been states that have been much more active in requiring uh, pay transparency upfront before someone's hired. Um, and so I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about this now because New York recently updated their pay transparency requirements. So I'm actually going to go state by state. Now, again, this is U.S. specific. So if you don't live in the U.S., I know that it's not necessarily super relevant for you. However, I think it's really important to be well-rounded. And you never know when you start working for a U.S.-based employer or um, if you yourself move to the U.S. I mean, who knows, right? But the majority of listeners are based in the U.S. There are significant percentages of people outside of the U.S. But this um, this episode is going to be really um, super U.S. focused. So let's go state by state. And this uh, article or information, I should say, will um, be available in the show notes as well. So if you would like to just kind of 
go right to that link and follow along, you certainly can do that as well. Um, but this is something that um, basically shows us state by state what the requirements are. Hey everyone, I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about the Employee Onboarding Podcast by Process Street. If you care about crafting a magical experience for new employees and you love podcasts, you won't want to miss this. Join the Process Street team as they have conversations with people leaders and technology creators exploring the world's most magical onboarding experiences. You will learn cutting-edge best practices, industry secrets, and technology to wow every new employee that walks through your door. I recommend the episode where Process Street CEO Vinay Patankar sat down with Zapier CEO Wade Foster to talk about how they've scaled employee onboarding in a $5 billion remote-first organization, and the conversation with Ben Eubanks discussing how to leverage AI and automation to improve the new employee experience will blow your mind. You can find the Employee Onboarding Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Go ahead and check it out, and don't forget, if you're interested in supercharging your employee onboarding or other HR processes, go ahead and give Process Street a try. You can sign up for a free account at www.process.st or check out their YouTube channel for a bunch of webinars and demos. There are 20 states that provide pay transparency laws for equal pay and allow employees to discuss their pay in the workplace. However, there is a focus on salary ranges being provided up front. Only 10 states have this type of pay transparency law or are working to pass this law. Now, the and this is something that was published August 2022, and I like it because it has every state listed. The way that I view pay transparency and really policies in general is that I always try to take the most stringent or most compliance-heavy state and apply the same policy across the board. So in most cases, California is the most stringent, right? Like we actually, they're the first state on our list for pay transparency laws. They do require um, that the salary range is on all job postings and this will be effective January 1st, I believe, 2023. Um, But they also, they passed an Equal Pay Act back in 2016 Um, that provided a ton of benefits for employees. But one of those benefits was that it prevented employers from asking about candidates' past salaries. Um, And it does also require employers to disclose salary ranges. Now, this is the example that I want to use. In my past, with California being the most stringent and most compliance-focused overall compared to the rest of the states, This concept of not being able to ask past salaries, this is something that I would have applied to all state processes. So if you were interviewing someone in Connecticut, don't ask their past salary, ask them what they're hoping to earn. Um, And this was actually something that New York is often right behind California in terms of like passing legislation. So when this happened back in 2016, we had already applied it across the board. And then by the time that New York passed their own law with this same requirement that you can't ask past salaries, the, the company was already used to this modality because it was the method in which we approached all hiring. So that is my preference when it comes to things like this, because it's much easier to manage one policy than it is to manage, you know, 50 if each state passed its own requirement. So unless there's something really, really specific 
that you can't apply everywhere and you would only apply to one state, I could see why you would have multiple policies. But in reality, it's much um, more manageable if you take the most um, stringent state and you follow their policies across the board. Now, obviously, I'm not an attorney. There are um, a ton of reasons why you should go to your um, legal counsel, your attorneys to validate that what you're doing is lawful and correct. I am not giving you advice on what to do, but rather sharing what I have done in the past and how I typically like to roll out policies that can be really difficult to manage. COVID is a great example of this too. Back when I was still in retail and I was managing COVID at a store level, especially, um, and a corporate level, we just took the most, um, strict, you know, protocols and applied it everywhere. Um, that way it was much easier to manage. So moving on Colorado, um, which this is something that took effect in January of 2021 has an equal pay for equal work act. Um, and it's one of the most important aspects of the law is that it requires employers to list the pay range and benefits of any job opening. So this is something that's been required since January. And this is whether you are working remotely or in person and regardless of how many employees you have. Now, some states do have um, minimum employee headcount in order for this law to be required for a business. So just make sure that you're digging in. If you work in a specific state or have employees in specific states, make sure you're double checking to see what the, the headcount requirement is because you might be exempt from the requirement if you have too few employees. Moving on. Connecticut, um, also in 2021, October of 2021, required employers to provide a salary range if the candidate requested it. Now, here's a, a good example. In Colorado and California, it's required that the salary ranges are posted. In Connecticut, it's if the candidate requests it. If I was operating, you know, where I needed to apply this law across these states, I would then, if I, uh, if I had employees in Colorado and Connecticut, I would follow the Colorado rule because it's more strict. And even if it's an oversharing for Connecticut employees, you're at least meeting the requirements in Colorado and it's easier to manage because you're following, again, the most strict um, requirements and compliance requirements. But again, just some just something that I have done in my past that's made it easier to manage these things. Otherwise, you would need to, if you have you know HR contingents or HR support in each state, then maybe it's totally irrelevant and you can manage it state by state. Maryland is another state that has e an Equal Pay for Equal Work Act that was passed in 2016. It was recently updated in 2020 with a focus on pay transparency. The law requires employers to provide pay ranges at the candidate's request and prohibits employers for asking about previous salary history. So you see where like when states start to take on or see the effectiveness of these laws and legislative agendas in other states, they start to add them, which is another benefit of kind of taking this, the most strict uh, compliance requirement and applying it across the board. But um, we can see here that there have been many updates with pay transparency, and so I think we can expect that they will continue. Moving on, for Nevada in October of 2021, they started requiring employers to disclose a salary range after the first interview. Employees are also entitled to salary ranges for transfers and promotions. However, the employee is responsible for making the request um, and employers are not required to disclose that automatically. Now, this is interesting because we're starting to see more 
of this in terms of pay transparency internally crop up in other states. Um, I think New York recently um, updated their requirements to include internal uh, changes and jobs. So this will be really interesting. Again, this is going to put a huge, I don't want to say burden, but it is type a type of burden on the HR function because it's a lot to manage. So um, another thing that I would do personally is create salary ranges that have the minimum. Like if you're, let me, let me go back. If you operate in a state that is a lower starting salary, like let's say Florida to New York, Florida has a lower cost of living. So maybe your salaries start at a lower rate in Florida, but New York has a higher cost of living. So they start at a higher rate in New York. The salary range that I would probably think of providing is the minimum in the lowest cost of living state and the maximum in the highest cost of living state because otherwise you have to manage salary ranges by every state and if you're posting jobs like remotely for example where someone can work anywhere how do you manage that and i actually am still trying to figure this out um and i've been asking like colleagues to see how they're doing it and it's really kind of like up in the air because each state has its own requirements but if you are remote and you don't have to operate in any specific state, how do you manage it? So this again is where I kind of take the perspective of like following the most stringent because otherwise like how do you manage that? And this is like, I, I hope in sharing this, it shows you that I am learning at the same time and rate that you all are learning this. So as more information comes out, I hope to be able to share more information as well. Um, New Jersey and Jersey City specifically have um, some ordinances here. So in Jersey City, which is a city within New Jersey, the ordinance um, requires employers to disclose a job salary range and benefits, which also applies to promotion or transfer opportunities. This law is only in place for Jersey City and not the entire state of New Jersey. Now, add another layer of complexity here, right? Like Jersey City, actually my family is from Jersey City and Hoboken. It's like all there. Anyway, that's an anecdote. Jersey City is a locality or a city. So it's like if you were to take Miami having their own ordinance, but not necessarily applying it to all of Florida. Um, this is the same, you know, kind of deal here. Jersey City has its own regulation now. So again, how do you manage as an HR person? How do you manage local, state, and potentially federal requirements if they come out? So Again, you already know what I'm going to say. Finding the most stringent is probably going to be the easiest thing to do unless you have HR support in each state or even like a region to be able to manage the state by state or city and locality by locality requirements. Um, we're almost done at the end of the list here. New York, which includes New York City and Ithaca, um, have recently implemented pay transparency laws that affect employers, of course. In both New York City and Ithaca, employers must disclose salary ranges and benefits before a candidate is hired. Similar to the Jersey City law, these laws only apply to either New York City or Ithaca. That means if a candidate doesn't have a job in either of these cities, the law will not apply. So New York City and Ithaca are parts of New York, not New York State in its entirety. Um, so this, I'm sure, will continue to see more coming out of this because California as a state has rolled out pay transparency. And like I said, New York is usually right behind them. 
Um, in Ohio, specifically in Toledo and Cincinnati, their Pay Equity Act ensures that workers in Cincinnati and Toledo are entitled to pay transparency. In both cities, employers with more than 15 employees must provide a salary range upon a candidate's request. The catch, however, is that this law only applies if the candidate has been given a conditional offer of employment. So this is different in that the employee or the new hire has to be offered a uh, a job contingent on their background check passing and whatever else is a condition is part of the conditional offer. And then they get access to the salary range. So what I could foresee happening is that someone is offered a conditional job, then requests the salary range, um, and then sees the range could potentially be in the middle of that range or below where they realize they could be and this could probably result in a lot of back and forth between the new hire and their conditional offer so i if i'm a betting woman i think that ohio will end up changing its law so that it's not after the conditional offer has been made because it's going to create probably a ton of back and forth but who knows we shall see rhode island um passed an equal pay law in 2021 which will only go into effect starting 2023. The law will require employers to provide a salary range at a candidate's request and will also apply uh, this law to transfers and promotions. So again, we're seeing a percentage of these states applying this um, requirement to internal opportunities as well as external. For Rhode Island, it's important to note that employers will also be required to disclose a salary range if compensation is discussed in any way, even if the candidate doesn't directly request it. So what this tells me is that if at any point the person engaging in an interview with a candidate says, what are you looking to earn? Boom, that triggers a salary range being needing to be provided, even if the candidate doesn't request it. Um, and then finally, Washington has an Equal Pay and Opportunities Act, um, which was passed in 2019 and recently amended to include salary ranges. According to the law, employers must provide a salary range once they make an offer to a candidate. So again, this is an offer-based trigger. And I think that this will end up changing too because that it could potentially be a lot of back and forth. But this was also passed in 2019, so maybe it worked out. I don't know. Um, employers must also provide salary ranges for employees who request them for transfers and promotions. So this is only a fifth of the states in the United States having pay transparency laws, but I, I guarantee you that most, if not all states will eventually have these laws passed. I'm sure that this will be a political discussion and that there will be a ton of uh, polarizing opinions on pay transparency laws in certain states, depending on their political uh, swing. However, for you as an HR um, practitioner and professional, I think it's really important to be super clear on what the law is and what is required. And if you operate in multiple states, consider how you will manage all of this. Most of these um, laws have already gone into effect. However, they've been amended to um, include salary ranges going forward. So if you are not already compliant in any of these states that I've shared, you do have to kind of go back and figure out what your requirements are, if there's a headcount minimum, um, and things like that. So I certainly hope that this was helpful. I know it's a ton of information. Again, I'm going, I shared all of those links in the show notes. So I hope that you go to those resources and take advantage and read. And again, 
this episode may not remain fresh if you listen after it's published. So I encourage you, regardless of when you are listening to this episode, to do your own research, make sure that you are clear, make sure that you're compliant, speak with your legal partners, your attorneys in-house or out-of-house counsel, and make sure that you are compliant because this episode, we know legislation changes, like it's probably changing right now. I'm recording it, this episode in the late afternoon and it could have already changed. So, um, you know, by the time this is published and then by the time it's heard by you, it could already be stale. So I do hope this helps. Um, and maybe this link will continue to live on and, and hopefully these resources will update. Um, but there's no really, no real way to, to know for sure. So, Moral of the story, do your own research, make sure you have attorneys that you partner with and always focus on um, being compliant with the law and then you have nothing to worry about. And it is okay to be extra generous with your benefits or extra strict with your compliance requirements so long as you are meeting, again, the highest threshold. Like California has the highest threshold and expectation for pay transparency laws and double time and all of those things. So whether you are more strict in meeting those compliance standards that they have at that higher threshold or more generous in giving benefits because you want to only have to apply one sweeping policy, that is okay. As long as you are meeting the minimum in each, you know, facet of the, the, where you operate. Um, now of course, if you operate in other countries like Canada, Mexico, India, um, Ukraine, wherever, those countries all have their own requirements and policies. So you won't be able to apply that same reasoning across country, but you can in the United States across, uh, apply most of the time across state lines, as long as again, you are being, you're meeting the highest threshold for compliance and the minimum threshold for, um, pay and things like that. If there's anything that I can expand on, please feel free to reach out to me. You can email me at podcast at hrtracy.com. You can DM me on Instagram at hrtracy, that's T-R-A-C-I. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, although I have not been on there in a while, so I have to get to all those messages. Um, but other than that, I do hope this helped and I appreciate you listening and I will see you next week. Don't forget to submit your HR nightmare stories. And I so appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. See you next week.